Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is Mandy and the F-Bomb. Hey y'all, welcome back to the F-Bomb. So it's been a while, and um, this morning was a bit of a cluster, but you know what? We are making it work. My friend Michelle um, is on deck, and we've got her on the phone. She's calling in, and I want to hear a little bit about her story. So Michelle and I met um, in 2018-ish. 2017, no, 2018, um, whenever she was running um, a foster closet in a nearby town, and we were starting a foster closet, and it kind of worked to where not only could we merge foster closets, but um, she was gracious enough to jump on the team that I was starting and um, give us lots of her time and energy until she moved out of town. So anyway, she's a veteran foster mom. I don't even want to guess at how many kids have come through her home. I'm going to let her say it. Um, but hey, thanks for, thanks for calling in. This was last minute and you've been gracious. So I appreciate it. You're so welcome. I'm glad to jump on here with you. So we, it was it 2018 whenever we met. I think so. I think, I think it was. Cause I think I started the closet in 2016 when I was pregnant with Caleb. Ah, that's right. And so, and always, I've just kind of gone, the timing has been so good, um, the way that worked out. I know, and it's not even, she didn't want to, like, close the foster closet. That's not what was happening. It was that she was the only one running it, and it was overwhelming. It was. I um, was the only one running it and was struggling to get traction with community involvement. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just talking to other foster parents who were also overwhelmed in their own foster care journey and people were helping as much mm-hmm. as they could but um you know you only do, can only do so much that's right and at that time not only was the running the foster closet overwhelming but the need was so great there weren't any other resources in the area so it was you doing you know probably a 10-man job with one person Right, and I was working, and I was pregnant. All the things, all the things. And I had foster kids. Yep, so I touch on that, like, for one second. How many kids would you say came through your home? 48 in six and a half years. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. And um, y'all moved to Abilene, is that right? That's right. We moved to Abilene in October last year. Yep, so it was where I'm down in Waco, and so this is like a cross-Texas move, and um, 
the thing about Texas, you guys, if you ever travel here, the the longest part of any trip if you're going out of state is just getting out of Texas. So it is. <laughs> I think you're a lot closer, huh? A lot closer to out of state. All right. Yeah, it's still like six hours to the New Mexico border. Is it? Lordy. Yeah. It, Texas is huge. It's huge. And then you start getting west and all you see is like all the windmills and stuff like that. And it gets a little. Anyway. Um, That's where we're at. Tell me. Tell me. And what's nice is I've known you since 2018, but we've never had this conversation. What made you get into foster care? Um, so growing up, I had a tenuous at best relationship with my biological parents. I was never removed or anything. We just didn't get along. Um, different personalities, very different personalities. And, um, my mom had a friend from high school that had a, had a really good friend from high school, had a child a year and 11 days younger than me who's my best friend from childhood. Uh, and she, my mom kind of recruited her friend to help. She said, I don't know what to do with this child. Um, and I spent a lot of time with my best friend's family in kind of an informal foster care situation. I was there most summers. I went every weekend that I could get over there during school time. Um, and just seeing a different, way of living and being uh, invited into another family and loved on like that kind of planted the seed for foster care in my own life. Um, my husband's parents actually took in teens when he was a young child, so he had had exposure to it as well. Um, I didn't and yeah, so um my husband has three kids from a previous marriage. They're all grown now. But when the youngest turned 18, I brought up foster care to my husband because I thought about it for a long time but hadn't mentioned anything. And we were just sitting on the porch one evening, and I said, hey, you know, I've always wanted to do this. I've always wanted to be a foster parent because of my own experience. Um, what do you think about that? And he said, I think that's a good idea. Why don't you find out what we got to do to become foster parents? And that, that was it. He's so good. And the door's just open. He's so good. And one of my favorite things, and I believe that. I believe that because I've watched him with the kids that um, I've seen with you guys, the the kids that have been placements. And he is so freaking patient and funny and understanding. And I've watched a kid come close to a meltdown. And what I've seen him do is identify with the emotion. Oh, man. You're so mad. I know you're so mad. And I thought that was really, really cool. And obviously, like, I've seen other parents do that. But a lot of times it's mamas that are identifying with emotions and kind of getting down on kids' levels. And I've seen him be really super patient and understanding. And I love that. Well, if there's yeah, any, any parents that should do that, that's definitely been you guys. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that part of your story. So you started fostering what year? 2015. May 29th of 2015, we got our first placement. So I want to know, 
you got into foster care and it was because of your experience. Did you ever think that you would adopt? Was that ever an eventual, not really goal, but kind of we'll see what happens? So funny story about that. We were sitting in training through DFPS because we initially got licensed through DFPS when they were still licensing homes. And um, at one point they said, you know, you need to kind of decide what your goal is. And do you want to just adopt? Do you want to foster to adopt? Do you want to only foster? And we went around the room and, and each couple was supposed to share what their their goal was through foster care. Um, and it came to us. And at the same time, my husband said adoption and I said, just foster. And we looked at each other and the lady kind of laughed and said, I think somebody needs to go home and have a conversation. <laughs> So my heart wasn't against adoption, but my heart was firmly in a place of just being a safe place for kids while their family got stuff worked out. Yeah. And so did it take much to, I don't know that either of you changed, I guess. I was going to ask, did it take much to kind of shift mindsets, but it kind of seems from observation that y'all decided to kind of see what happens. Well, we talked about it and my husband said, you know, we should be open to adoption in case there's a child that can't go home. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I'm not opposed to adoption. I just didn't think that that was our primary goal. And so that's kind of where we landed. It was that adoption was not our primary goal, um, but that we were open to it if that's what the Lord brought us to. Yeah. So in my in my experience with you here in Waco, you got called a ton for what would typically be called emergency placements. So these were like the middle of the night calls or the we can't find a place for this kiddo. Do you have some room available? Right. We also got phone calls when we weren't on the list from caseworkers and CASA supervisors. I actually got a phone call from a CASA supervisor a couple of months ago and I had to break her heart and tell her we weren't licensed anymore oh man yep so tell me those emergency placements and stuff like that every story is different but what does that look like to be to be on someone's radar whether it's casa or a caseworker to be someone who can take emergency placements is that a specific list or is it just that they know that you're willing So DSPS had a list of people who were willing to take emergency placements, people that they could call in the middle of the night. Um, And then we switched to a private agency, and we just let them know our preference that we were willing to take two-in-the-morning phone calls and get up and take a placement. Mm-hmm. So I, I would assume they maintain a list of people who are willing to do that, but I know specifically DFPS um, – said you know we'll only call you between the hours of eight and five if that's your preference yeah but you are willing to just be called anytime right um I was willing to be called anytime when I was working I had a fairly flexible job that was only part-time and it was an office job from eight to one so Mm -hmm. I only had to trudge through five hours of work if I'd gotten a two in the morning phone call that's right yeah so you're bringing in kiddos that are sometimes emergency placements. 
and it's you and your husband, and who else? It was pretty much us. Well, I mean, do y'all have biological kids? Oh, oh, yes, my biological kids. So um, when we started, Daniel was 13, and Ashley was 8, and that's all we had. Um, and then, so we started in 2015 and then in March of 2016, I got pregnant with Caleb. So then it was a 13 year old and eight. Well, by the time Caleb came along, they were 15, 10 and a newborn. <laughs> so, and I, I did take off uh, from October of 2016 till February of 2017, probably the longest break we took mm-hmm. from foster care whenever I had Caleb. Okay. Well, and that's good. I think sometimes people don't know that it's okay for, if you're fostering, it's okay to say, like, I've got some boundaries. I've had this life situation come up, and I just can't be on the list right now. I can't take calls right now. But you can maintain your license, and it's good for you to know what you're able to do and what's going to be stretching you too thin. Because the hope is that you're taking care of yourself in a way that will make it possible for you to have some longevity in this foster care right. scene. You definitely have to know your boundaries and because if you don't, you'll burn out. Well, that's one thing that I've seen you do exceptionally well. Um, and it's just, you probably didn't even know that I was observing as much as I was, but um, I think it's easy for people that are getting involved in foster care to feel a little like they're the ones being scrutinized a ton because of the home studies and all the caseworker visits and stuff like that. And I've seen people, and myself included, be a little bit intimidated by caseworkers or case managers from either DFPS or from an agency. And it almost feels like you can't say no or can't have boundaries because you're scared there might, like, what if they don't call or what if they think that I'm not reliable or I'm not all in and I've watched you again and again kind of go, nope, I said what I said. Like, these are the boundaries that I've got right now. So that's that's the direction we're moving. And I watched you do that a couple of times, and I was like, ah, okay, got it. And the way that I've seen you not just do that for your, your peace and your sanity, but I've also seen you advocate for kids um, in a way that is – obviously loving to them, but also like, I mean business. I, this is what this kid needs. I'm not playing around with you. And so it's been a growing experience just watching you and going like, ah, yeah, that's, that's possible. And what needs to happen, the protecting the boundaries and then the advocating real hard for kids. I've seen you do both. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Thanks. Absolutely. What is that something you always did, or was there something that was like, okay, I'm done? Like, this is how it's going to be? 
Well, our very first placement that came May 29th of 2015 um, was a type 1 diabetic child. Yes. That, uh, so your first placement was like a medical thing. He was medically oh, okay. fragile, had been removed for medical neglect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a little naive. I assumed that the caseworker would know about his medical needs since they were the ones that had removed him. Yeah. And she brought me a notebook that had all of his medical paperwork and charts and um dosing information but didn't know anything about it she didn't know how to interpret it and uh, i said this child's on insulin and you don't know how much to dose him and she said no i have no idea you'll have to get him into a doctor and i knew enough about type 1 diabetes that i knew i couldn't wait the three days to get him into a doctor so Mm -hmm. i started going through paperwork um and that was my first introduction to having to advocate for a child and having to advocate for myself. So I started going through paperwork and calling phone numbers on the paperwork and explaining who I was and the situation and what I needed. And thankfully I got a hold of the endocrinologist and ran up against a lot of walls. I'm sorry, we don't have you as a medical consenter. We don't have you on his paperwork. We can't tell you anything. And so I was just leaving messages, but I did manage to find his endocrinologist and left a message explaining the situation and they called me back and they're like we're so glad that you reached out we've been worried about him and where he ended up and they were able to walk me through what I needed to do oh man and how old was he 10 10 so he was at least at a point where he could tell you kind of what's going on with him but still well, he, he knew he had diabetes but yeah. he had no idea how to count carbs he had no idea how much insulin to dose himself um, he could do his own finger sticks, but he, he would not dose his own insulin. Okay. Well, and, you know, he's 10, so right. shouldn't, shouldn't have to. So that was you all in one one fell swoop, kind of trial by fire, like advocacy yes. and for yourself and for the kids. Yeah. Wow. So your first placement ever, 10-year-old, so not a little guy, 10-year-old, nope. type 1 diabetic, with no medical instructions? None. Goodness gracious. And Okay, so obviously that's that's more of an extreme case, but this happens, something like this happens a lot where um, caseworkers, and it's sometimes it's not their fault because um, they only know what they know, especially the investigations caseworkers who's just, their job is to do removals, y'all. And so they go in and they don't know a ton about the situation and and remove a child typically from um, an unsafe situation and then have to find a safe situation for the child. So there's only so much that they can know. Um, But stuff like this where they they come in and they don't have a ton of information and then you've got a kiddo in your living room and you're kind of going, oh, what what now? Um, That happens. Is that – so that seems – I hadn't heard that story. Is that something that you've seen often with, did you have any other medical stuff and kids with medical um, needs? Had had a couple of brothers come with asthma and no nebulizer. <clears throat> and they also came in the middle of the night and the little one was having an asthma attack. Oh, of course he was. I bet that was traumatic. Yes. 
So that that was, thankfully, I had a nurse practitioner that we went to church with that I had her personal phone number, and I called her up, and I said, hey, this is what's going on. This is the medicine I have on hand. Can I give it to him, and can you write me an order so I don't get in trouble? Yeah, because that's hard, too, is um, whenever you're first given paperwork and all the things, like you're, and especially if they come with medication, but you've got to have proof that you are able to give that medication and in what yeah. dose and stuff like that because they expect you to keep records. Yes, lots of records. Yeah. And that's something that I've seen um, of another foster family um, really kind of get raked through the coals about is they are a wonderful, wonderful foster family. Um, they really love the children that were in their home and love them well. Um, but because of because of records and record keeping, um, they really had a hard time at the end of their foster care journey. Yeah. So I think it's it's one of those things that you don't know until you know and you get in and you realize like, oh, this is it's not just the loving on the kids and um, all of those things. It's also keeping up with. A good pile of paperwork. It is a good pile of paperwork. But the paperwork is important because you want to be able to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have taken care of this child in a way that is needed and is necessary. That's right. And if this child is going to be a temporary um, person in your home and maybe is going to a kinship placement or or something like that, you want to be able to, I guess, give them some ease of transition into their next into their next space. Or if mom and dad um, aren't familiar with medical needs that have arisen, um, you'll want them to have those records as well. Yeah. Yep. So I know, so what happened y'all today is that I had a guest and because um, all of my guests typically have children, it's just something came up. And so I called Michelle last night and was like, hey, or I texted her, hey, do you want to chat with me for a little bit? And she's got a dentist appointment this morning. So we're we're not going to rush through this, but I know I'm going to have more questions at some point. So I may call you back in. Um, before okay. we go, though, um, one of the things that I asked my guests on the F-bomb is what was your F-bomb moment? When did you know that because of foster care, you'd never, never be the same? And since it's been a while, y'all, while, while she's thinking about that, the reason it's called Mandy and the F-bomb is because I really believe that it's those things in our lives that just blow up our whole situation that can turn us into the best versions of ourselves. And they just bring out, um, can bring out, if we choose to let them, um, some of the best characteristics that we should adopt about ourselves so I think foster care has definitely been that for me and for quite a few of my guests is this bomb that kind of blows up um, but leaves us changed in a way um, that is beautiful and we kind of would never go back so that moment for me we had um, just taken placement of three little girls they were three two and one and the middle one the two-year-old um so we we got them in the middle of the night at like 1 30 in the morning um 
and the next morning the two-year-old was the first one up and um we were talking and I was getting her some breakfast and it was pretty early and I just sat her on the counter by the stove while she ate a banana and was talking to her and out of nowhere she looked at the stove she pointed at it and she said my mama burned me and she had the scars on the back of her legs from where she'd been set on a hot electric stove that same little girl that night cried and cried to the point of choking because she wanted her mama and what um sorry i'm getting teary i think about it what i realized in that moment is that um no matter what kids love their parents doesn't matter what's happened kids love their parents um and so reunification wasn't possible in that situation but um it made me realize how important it is to uh champion for reunification because no matter what happens kids love their parents and if parents can be rehabilitated and be taught then they deserve a chance to be with their children and the kids deserve that chance and the kids yes I didn't know that. Gosh. Well, and I'm so glad you touched on that because that is something that I feel, you know, we both feel pretty passionately about, that it's not foster parents against the big bag boogeyman bio parents. Um, and even in hard situations like that, and that's good to, that's good for people to know if they don't know, hard situations like that typically – kiddos want their parents they've been removed from a difficult situation but it's also the only home the only the only family they've ever known and so they're moving from a place that has been familiar to a place where everything is different and kiddos seem to always want their mamas they always want their daddies um yeah and for them it's it's so much love they don't know any different so being able to communicate um, not just with the children, but with the children present in a way that doesn't vilify or shame um, family that they're related to really sets up a good foundation for later um, because in the off chance that they are not reunified, um, we don't want them adopting a even more complicated or potentially negative perception of themselves because of the people that they are biologically related to. So speaking, um, Mm. in my home at least, speaking about my children's biological family with respect um, is something that we do very, very intentionally. That's something my husband says is that um, all all the kids that we have had have been good. They've had mm-hmm. good things about them. And if there's good things about those children, those good things had to come from their parents. And so there's good things about their parents, too. Sometimes you have to dig a little deeper to find it, but it's there. He's such a good man. Yeah, I'm lucky to have him. Well, I'm so glad that you were in the foster care world for so long. Um, I know your home's not open anymore, and y'all are focusing on 
your your new situation up there in Abilene, but there are 48 kiddos that are better because they came through your home. You're real yeah. good at loving on them. Thanks. Thank you so much for calling in. You're welcome. I was glad to chat with you. Same. Y'all, thank you so much for tuning into the F-Bomb. We've got more new things coming your way. Mandy and the F-Bomb is produced by Rogue Media. Make sure to like and follow us on social media, and you can find our show anywhere you get podcasts or at roguemedianetwork.com. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. 